Welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncofarm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It is the first week of March 2021. Today's the fourth. March, my favorite month of the year, uh, along with October. We've got spring training baseball. We've got March Madness. Hopefully, we'll have, we'll have March Madness this year. We didn't get it last year. Uh, very, very busy time for everybody, so let's just get right down to it. We have uh, one new chemical entity, one new drug approval to talk about, and then maybe one or two quick updates after that. So on February 26th, the FDA uh, approved, this is an accelerated approval, which means it's based on response rate, uh, to melphalan flufenamide uh, for relapsed refractory multiple myeloma. Now, Melphalan is a drug you probably are all familiar with. It is one of our oldest, uh, longest-used alkylating agents. Uh, historically, it was used for lots of disease states. Now, it's pretty much only used not just for multi-myeloma, but an even more specific uh, utilization of myeloma as the conditioning agent prior to autologous stem cell transplant or, or high-dose melphalan with stem cell rescue, probably the better terminology for melphalan. So let's talk about uh, melphalan flufenamide first as a drug and how it's actually pretty cool. And then we'll talk about the approval and potential role in therapy. So, um, you know, melphalan is an old cytotoxic alkaline agent, okay? Now, for, for some period of time, scientists, researchers have identified that cancer cells, including myeloma cells, have higher concentrations of certain enzymes. In particular, these enzymes we're talking about here are aminopeptidases. Uh, which are enzymes that uh, that kind of do what they sound like. And uh, because cancer cells had higher concentrations of aminopeptidases, uh, scientists tried to target uh, this enzyme as a therapeutic target, as a druggable target. Uh, and there are a couple drugs that are aminopeptidases have been studied. Uh, you don't know the names of them, uh, which kind of I don't know the names of them either, but that says something about how effective they have been up to this point or successful in clinical trials. So instead of trying to inhibit aminopeptidases, what some people did is let's build a drug uh, that is a substrate for these aminopeptidases. And that's what melphalan flufenamide is. So it's melphalan bound to this other thing, we'll call it uh, flufenamide. Uh, and when it uh, sees this aminopeptidase, it is then cleaved to melphalan, uh, which is uh, the alkaline agent. From a uh, from kind of a medicinal chemistry standpoint, melphalan flufenamide is much more lipophilic, which means it's in, it enters the myeloma cells via passive diffusion, uh, which can overcome a potential mechanism of uh, cancer uh, resistance to therapy uh, by uh, decreasing drug absorption into these cancer cells and myeloma cells via transport pumps and things like that. All right, so because it's more lipophilic, more melphalan flufenamide gets into the myeloma cell than just regular melphalan, all right? That sounds good. But then the aminopeptidase releases melphalan from the melphalan flufenamide, or melflufen, as it's been called in, in some prior studies. And what that means is as soon as melphalan flufenamide enters the myeloma cell, it is rapidly, almost immediately turned into melphalan, which means the concentration of melphalan flufenamide inside the myeloma cell is almost very low, almost very close to zero. So as soon as the active drug, or as soon as melphalan flufenamide enters the myeloma cell, gets converted to melphalan, which then further drives the diffusion from an area of high concentration outside the myeloma cell to an area of low concentration. Pharmacologically, this is very similar to how lactulose is effective for hepatic encephalopathy and, and decreasing ammonia levels, people with hyperammonemia. 
so really, really cool drug, really, really fast intracellular, intramyeloma cell accumulations of, of melphalan uh, in the laboratory, uh, more so than melphalan by itself. So what we know then is if you gave somebody melphalan flufenamide versus melphalan, you'll get more melphalan accumulated, probably a little bit more targeted to the myeloma cells, which should then lead to hopefully better efficacy and perhaps less toxicity. So that's the theory, pretty cool. It's all medicinal chemistry, all molecular pharmacology, all uh, pharmacokinetic, right? Stuff that I love. All right, so let's talk about this approval. So this is based on the Horizon study. And I mentioned it is an accelerated approval, so it's based on overall response rate. So this is melphalanflufenamide, 40 milligrams, fixed dose, IV day one, along with weekly uh, dexmedazone uh, for a 28-day cycle. So right away, the fact that you see you give melphalanflufenamide one dose and then you repeat it 28 days later should tell you something about how myelosuppressive this is, that you got to wait 20, you got to wait four weeks before it's safe to give the next dose. Uh, by the way, the dex dosing is 40 weekly if you are uh, under the age of 75, 20 once weekly for 75 and older. The overall response rates, or the, uh, yeah, which was the efficacy endpoint here, was 23.7%, which is roughly in line to Selenexor. And I, I mentioned Selenexor specifically because this is basically the same approval Selenexor had as uh, with dexmedazone for myeloma about a year ago. This is for people who have received at least four prior lines of therapy, so-called pentarefractory. There's some subtle differences. The Selenexor original approval uh, with just DEX uh, included people who had received two IMIDs, I think, and two proteasome inhibitors. This is just any kind of four lines of treatment, including at least one IMID, one proteasome inhibitor, and a CD38 antibody. Uh, so the response rate is comparable to Selenexor. Um, now, you know, this, is, this kind of reminds me of, you know, when you're negotiating something, like you're negotiating, uh, you know, work time or you're trying to get PTO for holidays and you ask your supervisor, you know, I want, I want the whole week of 4th of July off. I want Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, and then, uh, and then Christmas and Christmas Eve off. And you ask for that knowing I probably am not going to get all that, but hopefully I'll get two of those, you know, and, you, and so you kind of over ask uh, and hope you get a fraction of what you asked for and you'll still be content. In a way, this drug, melphalanflufenamide, looks more impressive after we saw the Selenexor approval, which is really, really toxic, Selenexor. Now, melphalanflufenamide is very much like parent drug melphalan in terms of toxicity. It's almost all hematologic toxicity, and it is extreme hematologic toxicity. Now, keep in mind, these patients have all received at least four lines of treatment. Many of them had already received melphalan or had already received an autotransplant, so presumably they, many of them also got melphalan. So we do see some activity of melphalanflufenamide after melphalan use. There's still an outstanding question to me, if you just gave them IV melphalan, would you have the same overall response rate in these folks? Uh, a question that I think should be confirmed before uh, we just assume this is default better than, than melphalan, but that's just me perhaps. Um, so here's the, the percent of uh, leukopenia, 99%. Grade 3 or 4 leukopenia, so an ANC less than 1,000, 88%. Thrombocytopenia, 99%. Grade 3 or 4 thrombocytopenia, 80%. Uh, hemoglobin decrease, 84%. Grade 3 or 4, 50%. So very, very marotoxic, despite this supposedly being a little bit more specific for the myeloma cells. You're still getting uh, a lot of the other hematopoietic stem cells here for melphalan and flufenamide. Uh, 
so it's a nice drug. It's marotoxic, but hey, we're used to marotoxicity. We're used to dealing with this. We know what to do. Uh, and just to give you, you know, some more idea, this 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 uh, drug has been published. You can read more about this in some of the publications. But just to let give give you an idea of maybe what to expect if you give this for the first time, the dose adjustments for myelosuppression are in the package insert. Uh, and and you know they talk about uh, you know withholding you know for platelets uh, below 50, A and C below 1,000. Uh, and then you you know if things recover, you can do the same weeks if it takes two weeks or less to get your platelets above 50 or an ANC above 1,000. If it takes more than six weeks to recover from the dose, you have to dose reduce. So some of these patients clearly had, you know, ANCs less than 1,000, platelets below 50, uh, that didn't recover within a six-week period of time, which is pretty long. That's a pretty long duration of study. And, and it, typically we expect the people on a clinical trial like this to be healthier than the general population. So certainly some caution before you go off and give this to a frail patient with myeloma. So that's melphalan fluflanamide. I think more interesting uh, from a scientific standpoint than, than maybe interesting from a, a clinical use standpoint. But the drug will be used, I think I would anticipate to be used more than Selenexor, uh, just because Selenexor has a, lot, a, a whole bunch of other toxicities, maybe not as much myelosuppression, although some, especially thrombocytopenia. Melphalan fluflanamide, extreme myelosuppression, but a narrower uh, set of toxicities. Okay, so it was the big thing to talk about. Uh, the FDA also just uh, yesterday approved lorlatinib, regular approval, first-line treatment of ALK, uh, positive non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, you know, whether it's better than electinib, better than brigatinib in the first-line setting, these things, we don't know. We haven't had a good study to compare these things, okay? So uh, that's kind of, a, I guess, a me-too approval. Now, the last update to talk about is uh, maybe a recurring theme on the podcast, which is treatment of metastatic uh, renal cell carcinoma. Uh, two, three weeks ago on the pod, we talked about the FDA's approval for Nevo, Nivolumab, Cabozantinib for metastatic renal cell carcinoma. I said at the time I want to see uh, the forest plots. Those were not available until just uh, last night in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, and again, this is metastatic renal cell carcinoma, Nevo, Cabo compared to sinitinib, um, same kind of thing that we've seen, whether it's pembrolizumab, linvatinib, uh, and pembrolizumab compared to sinitinib, the, the VEGF targeting TKI and immunotherapy outperforms sinitinib in the whole population, but when you look closely at the subgroups, that benefit appears to be uh, reserved just in the intermediate and poor prognosis risk groups. That appears like it's going to be the case here as well. If you look at the, the the PFS, progression-free survival, uh, here are your, your hazard ratios going from favorable to intermediate to poor. 0 0.62, 0 0.54, 0 0.37. Largest benefit appears to be in poor risk, although the favorable does maybe have some risk there. Now, when you look at overall survival, our, our hazard ratios are 0 0.84, 0 0.7, 0 0.37. So again, uh, pretty you know, pretty big benefit in the poor risk patients, modest benefit in intermediate, and favorable risk unclear at this point. The very early follow-up, only 10 and 11 patients respectively died in either arm, so we're going to need longer-term follow-up, and um, I would expect we'll see the same stories we saw with pembrolizumab as with longer follow-up, we do not see benefit of combination treatment in the favorable risk category. Same old story we've seen uh, with nivolumab and ipilimumab as well in this space and, and pembrolizumab. So uh, we have... Um, really a convergence of, of data 
in this space, which is reassuring. We don't always we don't always have that. Uh, and part of this is the and I'm sure somebody's going to write a, an editorial if they haven't already about treatment of metastatic renal cell carcinoma. It's called an embarrassment of riches. You know that's coming. It's just going to happen eventually. It's got to. Uh, so that's melphalanfluflenamide. A little update on lorlatinib, and then uh, kind of a coda. Not a coda, because we'll get the final OS for this, uh, I think, later. Again, this is the Checkmate Niner study uh, for nevocabo and advanced renal cell carcinoma. So that is what I have today. It's short. It's sweet, maybe. Um, but it's a busy, busy time. So, you know, we are... Uh, we're going to try to be a little efficient uh, through the end of the academic semester here at Oncofarm. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at both Oncofarm. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at OncofarmPod, on both Twitter and Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at PharmDeetNib. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.